Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. Hope you had a good weekend. And here we are ready to start a new week. Big day, calling it V-Day for vaccination starting for the new coronavirus vaccine. And certainly that's uh, something uh, a lot of us have been waiting for for a long, long time. So that has started and very much in the news today, but a lot of other things in the news and to be decided this week. We'll be talking about that on today's program. Plus a look at the weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk with the economist for the Renewable Fuels Association, Scott Richmond, about the latest uh, report analysis out about the losses, the damage done to the ethanol industry here in 2020 by COVID-19. And we'll talk markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. That's coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with the president and editor of AgriPulse Communications, Sarah Wyant. Sarah, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for joining us. And Indeed, uh, vaccination starting, that's that's uh, big, big news as we kick off this week. No, absolutely. And Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners as well. Mike, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And we are so excited and blessed that uh, the technology has been deemed, uh, you know, to pass all the tests that have been very, very vigorous in, in making sure that this is a safe vaccine uh, there's 145 hospitals and other outlets that are receiving those vaccines today. In fact, there's already been a health worker in New York that's been vaccinated. And I'm sure throughout the day, we're going to see these stories of that hope that we've been waiting for so very, very long. And it's also a technology that involves gene editing. And so I think it bodes well for perhaps the science behind a lot of things that we're using in agriculture as well. Well, we continue to wait, though, for a spending bill and a coronavirus relief package in Congress. And, you know, kind of true to form, they, they, they're putting it off just as long as they can. And they have extended the deadline a little bit more trying to get this thing done. Are they any closer? Well, it, it seems that they are, Mike. Uh, you know, over the weekend, we always try to catch up on what lawmakers are saying and Denny Hoyer uh, talked about the fact that there's probably not going to be some of the things that the Democrats had wanted, which is state and local aid. Uh, We also had other members like Joe Manchin from West Virginia, a very conservative Democrat, say it is going to happen and that there's no way that people are leaving Washington without taking care of the emergency needs of our people. Uh, So I, I think that if you can read between the tea leaves, they are still making progress. Obviously, it's not a done deal yet. Uh, we've got the package, a link to the package of what the details are as we know them right now on our website and our Washington Week Ahead article. But, you know, we're going to continue to watch this. And usually, Mike, you know, there's nothing like a good holiday that doesn't prompt lawmakers who want to get out and get with their families, even though some may have to still be socially distanced. But those holidays sometimes work as uh, incentives to get some things done, and certainly the American people are still hurting and need some additional assistance. Yeah, and usually Christmas is the biggest uh, mover for them to get something done. That's the deadline that uh, they don't want to miss, so uh, we'll see if they can get it done here soon. Meanwhile, for the most part, reaction has been very positive to the choice of Tom Vilsack to return to USDA when we look at reaction from ag groups. Not 100%. I mean, when you've been in public office as long as he has been, you pick up some enemies along the way. But overall, it's been a very positive reaction. The choice that he's made, that uh, President-elect Biden has made for U.S. trade representative, we haven't heard quite as much about, but starting to see some farm groups react positively. What are you hearing? Yeah, I think there's uh, going to be an overall support for Catherine Ty to lead USTR. She's uh, currently been working as the chief trade counsel for the Ways and Means Committee and I think is very well versed in the issues. Uh, she understands the politics and the policies behind U.S. trade. But let's face it, it's, it's a tough position. Uh, in some ways, it's going to be equally as 
difficult as what Tom Vilsack is going to be facing going back to USDA, although he's been there. He knows how, how the big uh, office uh, facilities work and all the different agencies. And so he's more familiar, of course, with running a big ship like USDA. Um, she's, she's just going to have her work cut out for her in terms of China and what we're going to be facing with for the potential for Brexit and a lot of issues like that. The other key one to watch will be who heads up EPA. What are you hearing there? We're still hearing a lot about Mary Nichols from California, and she's been a really tough regulator out there. And uh, I think that she will probably bring back a lot of issues that will be of concern to farmers and ranchers. You know, we just got uh, WOTUS redone through the last four years of the Trump administration, and uh, it'll probably be likely up for another redo again. So it'll keep everybody guessing about uh, what's going to happen there, and, and certainly on biofuel policies as well. I think the one key thing a lot of groups will be looking at is will there be an EPA liaison for agriculture and will EPA and USDA and other agency heads work in tandem on issues that impact farmers and ranchers? And so that's going to be just as important. Yeah, I think that pick will be the one that might cause the most uh, heartburn for uh, those in the ag community or at least raise the most uh, concerns because just wondering where we're going to where this administration is going to go on environmental policy and how that's going to impact agriculture yeah but at least you know tom vilsack has been forceful in these areas in the past and i think people felt really relieved to know that he was the pick uh there was a lot of dissension as you and i talked last week between a couple of the female front runners and i think that what we've seen so far is president-elect biden is going with trusted advisors people he's known for a long time, and that should bode well for agriculture that um, Mr. Vilsack will have such great access to the president. He seemed like kind of the safe pick uh, of all those that were mentioned. Is that how you felt? Yeah, and, and a known quantity, you know. Known people quantity, know yeah. where he's been. Uh, and, and so I think that that's a, a comforting thing that shows Biden wants to start out quickly with people who can get to work on day one. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. There's a, a, a history there between Vilsack and, and the ag community. They've worked with him before. That doesn't mean they've always agreed with him on everything, but they, they're familiar with him and how he works. And I think that uh, was kind of the, that what I say, well, it's a safe pick because of that familiarity. So we'll see where that goes. And all these other picks are so critical moving forward. Well, as always, Sarah, thanks for the update. And we'll talk again next week. Great, Mike. Enjoy the holidays. Thank you. Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. All right, let's check weather. Here we are to mid-December. Some parts of the country getting some real winter weather, but other parts not so much yet. We'll talk it over with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And what about the weather in South America? Keeping a close watch on that as well. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. We're hearing about uh, shortages of, of beds and ICUs, the surge that's taking place. What can you tell us about how the system is holding up? We're experiencing some significant outbreaks of 
COVID in rural communities nationwide. These outbreaks are resulting in some states having positive testing rates over 50%, which is incredibly concerning as it relates to the number of individuals that will later need hospitalization, intensive care. And so our intensive care units are where I think we're having the most concern right now. That's where they're filling up. We're seeing 85, 95% occupancies in those units, uh, often just one or two beds away from overflow. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, here we are, mid-December. Winter in some places, not so bad in other parts. So kind of give us an overview where we're at here as we go into a new week. In general, Mike, uh, there's uh, a real lack of uh, winter uh, impact over uh, much of the northern and central parts of the country. Uh, Here in Omaha, uh, we had, I don't know, three inches of snow or something like that back on Friday night into Saturday. And um, there was, you know, some uh, social media discussion about that with, uh, with uh, some acquaintances uh, from Illinois, <laughs> and, and including some other areas of the country, and and uh, uh, we had uh, acquaintances from the Chicago area uh, remarking about, well, no snowfall uh, here in Chicago, and you're getting some in Omaha. So I mean, we've we've had uh, some snow kind of uh, over the western Midwest, and then the southwestern plains. Over much of the remainder of the Midwest and the Northern Plains, it still has been uh, a winter that has not shown a whole lot of activity yet uh, in terms of snowfall. Now, there has been some rain, uh, not heavy amounts, but some rain, and with the ground not really frozen, that's allowed that to, to soak in. Yeah, it, it has, and, and uh, parts of the eastern Midwest had had uh, those uh, rainfall amounts, I would say, in the uh, quarter to three-quarter of an inch range. And then uh, today we're getting uh, some pretty heavy rain along the Atlantic coast and then some snowfall in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains and then north into New England. But, um, yeah, I think the soil moisture uh, recharge is uh, certainly going on in the Midwest, and uh, that's going to be useful. Um, I don't know, but what uh, there could be some parts of the eastern Midwest that, maybe have a little bit too uh, full a soil moisture profile when we get into spring, but that's another topic uh, over a long-term period. I do want to uh, go back to the southwestern plains, though, uh, because uh, the snowfall uh, during this past weekend uh, kind of piled up in parts of western Oklahoma into far southwestern Kansas with anywhere from four to even six-plus inches of mm. snow. Uh, this area 
west of U.S. Highway 81 is one that I've been beating the drum about in terms of really needing some moisture. And um, I know that the wheat is in a dormant phase, but there was some snow cover, you know, that we saw in that part of the country. And uh, later on, uh, that moisture is going to soak in and uh, is going to possibly help things out uh, for the uh, wheat when it uh, comes out of dormancy in, in a few months. So there was some useful moisture in an area that really needed it. We're talking about extreme drought uh, in that southwestern plains uh, sector. So any, any type of uh, precipitation is going to be much appreciated. What about temperatures this week ahead? You know, it's going to be a little bit colder, but, I mean, here we are in mid-December, and we're still seeing a lot of values that are above normal, particularly uh, south to about Interstate 70. And in the northern plains, uh, temperatures are going to be running about 10 to 15 degrees above normal. Uh, a lot of the north-central part of the country is going to have lows in the low to mid-teens, of, you know, first half of this week, and then uh, advancing into the uh, low to mid-20s. Uh, by late week, and then uh, highs in the upper 20s or so, and uh, warming into the um, upper 30s uh, during the next uh, week, and and uh, beyond that or south of that, we're going to see highs even touching 50 uh, by the end of this week. So it's uh, it's not a bad uh, wintertime pattern. There is colder air relative to normal in the southern plains and then through the southeast, but we're still not looking at um, a real cold wave. I mean, we're talking near to below normal, like, uh, you know, about three degrees, three to five degrees below normal, nothing on the order of a, of a real bitter cold pattern at all. So uh, it's a real mild stretch here in mid-December. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, we're keeping a close watch on weather in South America. Give us a look down there. It is uh, still a, a real uh, variable rainfall pattern across Brazil. During the past weekend, uh, there was some rain in kind of that south-central Brazil area, Mike. I, I would say kind of the, the mid-level uh, production areas for soybeans, um, Goiás, Minas Gerais, Mato Grosso do Sul, they had rains approaching, oh, about uh, a half to one and a half inches. Mato Grosso itself had from a tenth to a half an inch, and that's it. It's not uh, a favorable rainfall pattern yet in Mato Grosso. And then farther south in Rio Grande do Sul in northern Argentina, there was some rainfall of, uh, again, three-tenths to an inch and a half, locally heavier, but uh, that uh, central and southern two-thirds of Argentina saw less than a half an inch of rain. And this week, there's a, a swath of south-central Brazil that has uh, moderate to heavy rain. Otherwise, it is light in uh, the north-central part of Brazil, Mato Grosso specifically, and then in uh, Argentina. We're still looking at uh, no more than about a tenth to a half, to a half inch of rainfall. In general, uh, the, the uh, crop areas in South America, with very few exceptions, have had rainfall of less than, a half, than a half the average over the past seven days. And along with that, this week, those temperatures in Brazil are going to be running about uh, 3 to 10 degrees Fahrenheit above average. So, you know, you kind of kind of lump all that together. We're talking kind of hot and dry, and uh, that's not, not a favorable crop pattern. So it sounds like they're getting by, but it's, it's far from ideal. That is exactly uh, where, where we are. Uh, these rains are just kind of uh, helping crops to to move along, but there's nothing uh, to to indicate that uh, this pattern is just going to be uh, tremendously beneficial over the uh, next uh, month or so as uh, that South American crop uh, region, crop uh, sector, goes into the heart of its growing season. I mean, here we are basically in mid-June uh, in, uh, in South America. If it was mid-June, and we were looking at the rainfall pattern that we've got going on in Brazil, and we we're kind of flipping that into the U.S., I think that there would be plenty of concern. And uh, that's, that's kind of uh, the way I'm trying to illustrate it uh, in my way of uh, looking at that South America scene.
Yeah, we keep a close watch on it because even though it's strange to say in December, we're looking at a weather market, everyone looking at that weather and, and crop potential in, in South America. All right, all right, Bryce, what about the La Nina? Where are we with La Nina? Well, the, uh, the indications are still uh, supporting a, uh, a moderate-level La Nina at this point, borderline strong. Um, looking uh, as to the, the effect of La Nina on what the long-range pattern is going to be, uh, it looks like the, the uh, real impact of this uh, pattern during the rest of the winter is going to set in from about the last half of January all the way through February and into March. Uh, that's when we could see a colder and stormier pattern develop. And looking farther into the spring and even into the summer, Mike, uh, the the analogs that our long-range forecast group has put together um, show the highest relationship to uh, what we have now for La Nina to the uh, year of 2010-2011 in terms of uh, the the relationship or the comparison, if you will, to what happened. We all remember, many of us do, at least I do, I know you do, that 2011 was a very harsh year in uh, crop production. Uh, I could uh, I could take up the rest of the show uh, going through the weather calamities that went on that year, but that was a tough year. And if, it, uh, if those analogs match up uh, at all, uh, we're looking at uh, some real uh, periods of uh, crop stress over some pretty large areas in 2011. It is a cautious uh, crop weather outlook scenario that I'm looking at right now uh, with uh, this La Nina. A story we'll be watching uh, throughout the winter, right, as we head to spring. Kind of those warning signs that are out there. That's that's right. It, it's it's a caution flag. Uh, there's there's no doubt about it, and we know that there are. Quite a few areas uh, with uh, pretty high production that are going into this season dry and could continue that way uh, with uh, the you know kind of indication that we're getting uh, from the presence of La Nina and then again some some possible comparisons to uh, what went on in uh, some years prior with this particular feature. Yep, we'll be talking a lot about that in the weeks ahead. Always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update, Bryce. You're welcome, Mike. Good to be with you. Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, it's been a tough year for the ethanol industry, that's for sure. Uh, COVID has not only, you know, hit hard, but it's uh, it continues to keep driving down. And that means fuel consumption down and that ethanol demand down. It's been a tough year for sure. Scott Richmond, the chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association, has done some analysis. He'll have those numbers for us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise, We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are mixed on the Board of Trade today after seeing gains on Sunday night's open. Markets are still anticipating a Russian wheat export tax this week, but exporters there could attempt to ship as much wheat as possible before the measure takes an effect, temporarily flooding nearby offers. On the Board of Trade, Minneapolis spring wheat march trading 11 and three quarters of a cent lower at 558 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat march down 16 at 560. 
five and a quarter. Chicago wheat marched down sixteen and three quarters at five ninety seven and three quarters. March corn trading a penny lower at four twenty two and a half cent. The May contract down a penny at four twenty five and a half cent. March soybeans up three and a quarter at eleven sixty nine and a quarter. The November contract up a penny and a half cent at ten fifty four and a quarter. Strong late wheat gains in all cattle futures helped to rekindle buyer support across the complex last week. The focus on commercial buying support as traders look for long-term demand growth is rekindling strength trade this week. In cash cattle country, business started out as early as Tuesday last week and came in as dibs and drabs for the rest of the week. Looking at Friday afternoon's mandatory report, you can see that trade volume totals were rather light. Kansas was at 9,940, Nebraska 16,197, Texas 5,590, Iowa at 15,945. On the Board of Trade, December live cattle trading 12 cents higher at 108.87. The February contract down 45 at 112.80. The April contract down 27 at 117.10. March feeder cattle up 27 at 140.82. The April contract up 20 at 142.10. February lean hogs a dollar 20 higher at 64.42. The April contract up a dollar 12 at 68.62. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Scott Richmond, Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, thank you for joining us. We know that uh, 2020 has been a rough year for the ethanol industry. You've done an analysis now with the latest numbers. What has been the economic impact on the ethanol industry from COVID-19? Well, good morning, Mike. Uh, It's good to join you. And like you said, uh, we did do an analysis looking back and seeing what the impact uh, the pandemic has been. Uh, it's the end of the year, thank goodness. Uh, so it seemed like an appropriate time to uh, to sit back and take stock. And it's also a good time to do it because now we have uh, enough historical data to do that with. Sometimes when you're in the thick of it, uh, things are happening in real time. It can be difficult to conduct such analyses. So uh, we thought it was a good time to do it now. The bottom line is that from March through November, the months that we have data for, uh, the industry lost $3.8 billion uh, in revenue, and a large majority of that was uh, was from ethanol revenues, uh, both due to uh, lost volumes and uh, the price impact uh, that occurred. Uh, the worst losses, it won't be surprising, uh, occurred from uh, March through May when there were lockdowns and we experienced the worst downturn uh, in industry history. Things got somewhat better uh, over the summer, but uh, really volumes never returned to normal. And now since about uh, mid-October, uh, with the worsening of the, of the pandemic and the reimposition of restrictions, uh, we've seen another uh, leg down in fuel consumption uh, and another tick up in the, in the impact. So uh, we have a pretty resilient industry, but we've taken a, a big hit, and unfortunately the effects are continuing. $3.8 billion, that's with a B, $3.8 billion in losses this year for the ethanol industry. Now, and that's despite many plants 
shifting, able to produce and help produce hand sanitizers and things like that, still, when you lose that kind of uh, fuel consumption, that that's why we have such a huge loss. Exactly. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, this was the worst downturn we've ever seen. And for a number of ethanol facilities, a number of our member companies, uh, being able to shift over, produce industrial alcohol, specifically for, for sanitizers, uh, was helpful and allowed them to both help their communities uh, and help their bottom lines, get the, help get them through it. But when you look at the relative sizes uh, of the markets, uh, the transportation fuel market is huge. Uh, the industrial alcohol market is a good market, but there is just no way to make up uh, for that lost volume. And unfortunately, you know, I'm calling it lost volume because it's not some sort of pent-up demand that will occur after things get back to normal. Um, you know, the the losses in the industry uh, are something that's that's gone forever, and you know, 2020 is just going to go down in the in the record books for the industry is one that uh, you know where we, where we took a big hit. We're talking with Scott Richmond, chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Even coming into this year, Scott, we had seen fuel consumption. Uh, the trends had been kind of going down. Uh, so then you add COVID and it just exasperated it so much with the lockdowns and, and slowdowns that have been going on. So this is going to be a concern for some time for the industry. Yeah, and you know it, it's it's interesting. 2019 uh, was was a, a little bit tough because the small refinery exemptions were having an impact on domestic demand, and then the trade tensions were having an impact on our exports, which is, has been a growth market uh, in in recent years. Um, coming into the year, we had the China Phase One trade deal. We had uh, an important court ruling uh, on uh, on small refinery exemptions. Uh, and a few other things, and we, we went to the National Ethanol Conference in February feeling optimistic, and then, you know, things turned kind of the other way. So uh, I think there's a lot of optimism now about what, uh, you know, about what vaccines will be, but it, it's still going to be a few months before we, uh, uh, we really get our heads above water. What's the export picture? Can of review 2020 and your thoughts moving into a new year? Well, it, you know, it's a it's kind of a mixed picture. Exports are going to be down, you know, by probably a similar amount to percentage-wise to um, to domestic consumption, uh, and for you know some of the same reasons, we've got some markets that were severely impacted by uh, by COVID. Uh, it did not help uh, that we continued to have uh, to have trade tensions. Uh, you know, one country all point that out with that's kind of timely is, uh, you know, is with Brazil, which uh, both of those things apply to. But there were trade tensions with, uh, you know, with other countries. Uh, again, one of the bright spots, though, is there are a handful of countries uh, that were taking more, uh, more alcohol, uh, more shipments from us uh, because of the industrial markets. So that did help to stabilize things. You mentioned Brazil. There is a tariff issue to deal with as we wrap up this year and go into 2021. Yes, and it's coming down to the wire, and uh, you know we should hear more uh, within a matter of, of hours, if you know, if if not days. And the RFA will go ahead and, and make comments about that publicly as that happens. But uh, um, but you know the the tariff rate quota uh, that's been in place is uh, is about to expire, uh, literally as you know as we speak. Uh, and you know Brazil actually has preferred access into the United States. They have virtually no tariff. Uh, they get um, they get an advanced biofuel rent. They get the they get the premium off of that, uh, and then they get the uh, California LCFS uh, credit price for um, for for sugarcane-based ethanol. So they have and they have let's call it advantaged access into the United States. All that we're asking is that we have access without having a punitive quota, excuse me, a punitive tariff uh, slapped on us into Brazil. So, um, you know, I, th I think it's a reasonable request, and um, you know, we'll, we'll see how things play out uh, very, very quickly. Scott, as we look at this year, we know there were layoffs, there were plants idling. Where are we with the ethanol industry here at the end of the year? 
Yeah, the you know the the worst of it we had um, we had about forty five or fifty percent uh, consumption was about forty five to fifty percent uh, lower than year ago levels and really kind of an average of the last three years back in April that was the worst of it and the industry uh, actually was very disciplined um, and curtailed production. Uh, by about the same amount. That's why stocks never got uh, out of hand, as happened uh, with with petroleum. Uh, and we came back out of that, and a number of facilities ratcheted up, but there were you know, a couple that closed permanently, and there are some that stayed idle, and you know, and some others that never went fully back, uh, fully back online. That is really the only reason things didn't, um, you know, conditions. Uh, and the industry didn't uh, weren't worse than uh, than actually was the case. I will mention that you know with with California re- reimposing uh, restrictions, uh, other states reimposing restrictions, and just the seasonality uh, of, of fuel demand, we are hearing almost on a daily basis uh, of facilities that are cutting back 10 percent, 20 percent. So. Um, the yeah the the impact is not over it's going to last a few months here even with e15 being more available it's been more than offset negatively by the the lack of uh, fuel consumption overall yeah thank goodness we had e15 we had the industrial ethanol market uh, we've been keeping an eye on uh, minnesota data it, the state's one of the few that reports anything about uh, E15 and E15 consumption seems to be uh, to us kind of hanging in there, um, and so that's been uh, you know that's that's been a bright spot. Uh, another bright spot this year uh, was was the HBIP funding, the infrastructure funding from uh, the USDA that uh, you know that is getting out there uh, quickly and building a base for the future. So we're optimistic about E15 uh, going forward. It's just we we took a big hit. And as the ethanol industry has helped with hand sanitizers during the pandemic, now with vaccines going out and the need to keep those vaccines cold, the need for dry ice, that comes from CO2. CO2 comes from ethanol production. So, again, the ethanol industry able to help out. Yeah, we have a pretty uh, pretty pure stream of carbon dioxide that comes out of, uh, out of ethanol plants. And so uh, some of the gas companies have been uh, keen to... Uh, go ahead and partner with uh, with ethanol companies to use that for the different uses of uh, of CO2 uh, in food, in dry ice, uh, in industrial processes. Uh, so uh, we've it's you know a, a nice silver lining uh, of what's happened with the pandemic that uh, a number of plants have been able to help out with their local communities uh, in terms of uh, providing hand sanitizer to those communities to hospitals in the communities, to others. Uh, and we've also been able to play a critical role in uh, dries for some of these, uh, a couple of these vaccines that have to be cooled to extremely low, low temperatures. Certainly been a challenging year, but again, the ethanol industry has shown its flexibility and its ability to help in a number of ways, not just fuel, but certainly that's a big area, but these other areas as well. Scott, thank you for the analysis and uh, the the assessment of where the industry is here at the end of 2020. We'll hope for a much better 2021. Thank you for being with us. Thank you and happy holidays. Scott Richmond, Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. 
But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined now by the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall. Zippy, let's talk about some of the things happening. The apparent choice of Tom Vilsack to return to USDA in an Biden administration. Your thoughts on that choice? Well, I think that's a great choice. Uh, Secretary Vilsack spent eight years there, and, you know, he comes there with great credentials. I mean, as being governor great state of Iowa, big agricultural uh, state. And then, of course, since, since he came out of USDA, he spent some time with U.S. Dairy Export Council, and he stayed involved in the agriculture area. So Tom Vilsack's a friend of mine. We have a good relationship. I'm really excited and looking forward to working with him again to move agriculture forward. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Let's talk markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Marketing Advisor, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, I know you're in a good mood. Your Packers won. <laughs> it's always a good day when those Packers win. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk markets. Uh, we heard earlier from Bryce Anderson with ETN about the weather in South America, and he described it as, you know, they're getting enough moisture to get by, but not enough to make anyone proclaim yet or, or, or decide that it's going to be a huge crop. So how do the markets look at that? Well, the markets are, are very much monitoring it, and so they're at a, a price point where they're just almost on pause. So we're, we're seeing the same things as far as, yeah, the rain is coming, and it's, it's timely, but it's nothing to make the crop record. So we have to almost wait a few weeks or a month until the crop continues to develop to know better um, the potential that is out there for it and get some more um, like crop tours and things like that and more images off social media. So some of the images on social media right now show horrible parched soil conditions and, and plants that are, are dying and not looking good, and other places look like they're you know, just getting by. So again, maybe we don't get to trade that for a few weeks into the new year, um, but it keeps markets just in check for now. So we kind of watch and wait on South America. Meantime, we watch and wait, as always, what China is doing. What are your thoughts? Uh, are they done with their big buys for now, or do you think there's more to come? I think the big buying is done, but I think we'll see small incremental buying continue. Um, some of those sales may be small enough to fly under the radar in terms of not having to be large enough to be announced as a daily export sale. Uh, so when you also look back seasonally, China does a lot of their buying in the U.S. traditionally in the fall during harvest when grain prices are cheaper. And then there's a seasonal tendency to it where it just um, kind of trickles a, a little bit lower as the year goes on. But now with South America not having a potentially a record crop and because that crop was planted late, uh, maybe we do continue to see them buying not just soybeans from us, but corn and even wheat because they're going to need a lot of feed for those expanding hawk facilities. And wheat's a great feed substitute as well. We're talking with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. So do you see uh, a fairly steady, maybe choppy, but fairly steady market here through the winter? Um, with as tight as the ending stocks are now in the United States for corn and, and soybeans, uh, soybeans, of course, especially, the market is well supportive. I mean, when you look at now that our stocks-to-use ratio on soybeans is down to 3.9%. You know, it still is a second smallest stocks to use ratio in history. And if the exports stay as quick as they have been, and if export inspections can, can continue with great pace, uh, there's a chance that we see export demand continue going forward, and the USDA has to make the demand number larger on the next USDA report. And there's also rumors starting to fly around out there that in the January report, uh, we might see smaller soybean yield from this past year as well. So if that's the case, smaller yield on top of increased demand, there is potential for tremendously higher prices this spring um, and even later this winter too. Yeah, the December WASDE report was pretty uh, pretty quiet. Not much happening there, but it could be building. We're kind of really looking for that January report. That could uh, have some fireworks to it. Yeah, usually it does. That's always the theme of it. And so with the USDA sticking to just a very basic report um, on this last go-around, um, it does set up this potential stage for um, bigger excitement going forward. And, of course, right now the market is assuming that it's supportive news, uh, which for soybeans I would agree and the wheat I would agree. Corn would be the one thing where, you know, I'm nervous about if there's any demand loss for corn use for ethanol. Um, but as far as feed demand goes, um, it's it's a friendlier story that has just been building as all the stars have been aligning since August to get us to this point. What a difference a year makes, right? We came into this year, the big market story was burdensome stocks, right? And that has really flipped here as we go into 2021. Yeah, it just, you know, makes us all be aware that at any time the markets can shift quickly. So be doing scenario planning right now with any grain that you have unpriced at home. Think about, okay, well, how much more am I going to sell if the market can move, you know, 50 cents higher on soybeans? Or what happens if we actually go through the $12 price resistance area? And on the flip side, what if there's some other lingering black swan out there that makes prices 
just have a retreat and collapse lower. So always be thinking about um, the opportunities available in front of you and protecting both the upside potential and the risk that is still potentially lurking out there as well. Because quite honestly, opportunities we didn't think would be there not that many months ago. Oh, Lord have mercy. No, not at all. We didn't think these would be available to us at all. So this has just been a tremendous blessing. Yeah. But you mentioned the ethanol situation. We just talked about it in our last segment with the chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Remains to be seen how long it takes to get uh, people out and going again. The vaccine's obviously encouraging, but it's going to take a while, and we wait and see about that, about fuel demand. That's going to be a big part of this picture going into the new year. Oh, that's going to be huge. You know, just not only from um, families and cars and transporting, you know, are people going to go back into the office or are they going to be working at home and how quickly the schools get school buses running as well. So uh, lots to, to monitor going forward. Um, but I think overall it's just going to be a, a better and a brighter picture for 2021 and a welcomed, a welcomed market and marketplace compared to what we've had for the past five or six years. And before long, we'll start even focusing more about dry weather concerns in this country for next year, won't we? Oh, absolutely. When you look at the current drought monitor, it is drier than it was in December of 2011 before we went into the summer drought. So we're already watching uh, snowpack in the mountains. We're watching any rainfall that or snow that uh, continues throughout the plains this winter. It's, it's very critical. So the world is watching it, but it's a little too early to trade it yet. Yeah, a lot going on here, a lot of moving parts. We'll be watching closely. Naomi, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. With that, we wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, our holiday tradition. We'll talk with author Ace Collins as we take a look at the stories behind some of our favorite Christmas songs. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today.